Okay, so today I'm on a Zoom call to uh, John Franklin in Sweden, no less. Uh, John has just had his debut novel, Shouting the Odds, published, based in uh, the good old days, some would say, of betting shops. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But, John, it, it's a work based on experience, your experience in the uh, retail side of betting. Yes, that's correct, Simon. Uh, nice to be here with you. You too. Um, yeah, I started at uh, William Hill in uh, 1987. I worked seven years full time in the northwest London area. Uh, then I went up to Nottingham to study for three years. So I worked there part time. Then when my photography career didn't kick off quite exactly as I'd hoped it for, as fast as, as I'd hoped it for, I returned to London, did my grade three uh, management course. And then I was, um, I ended up the little shop on the Hanger Lane, on the uh, London Geratory system. And uh, yeah, in a very quiet shop, I arrived there on a Monday morning and um, soon discovered that uh, this place was taking maybe 70, 100 slips a day. Same thing Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then Friday evening, a, uh, a rolls pulled up outside the shop. The two fellas got out and they they were betting in hundreds on the evening racing, both meetings. So it's races every quarter of an hour for about three hours. And uh, that was a really good, uh, that was really good training for me, uh, having to settle and, you know, sort stuff quickly for them. And it carried on like that for about a year. So this shop had a very high take per slip, so to speak. And, and that was the reason why. It sounds like in those days you didn't have to ring up every time somebody wanted 100 quid on then. I could sometimes, with those fellas, because I felt I could trust them, I could take bets against their, their returns. But it, it, you had to have a, a sharp mind and um, keep on the ball, you know. Uh, but, yeah, it was they were fun times. I mean, what, what, what sort of, when are we talking, 80s? 90s? Yeah, that would, well, I uh, started 87. That wasn't long before I actually moved to Sweden uh, when I was managing. But um, on and off, I worked for Hills for 13 years. Kind of shops, yeah. th those days, you know, anyone that remembers them, uh, people remember it fondly, you know, looking at a speaker rather than a TV. And uh, I mean, betting shops were a bit of a paradox, weren't they? Because they were popular enough to be numerous, even in the smallest town. But also sort of quite stigmatised at the time. I mean, I think that's what attracted me, the fact you weren't, people didn't go in there, only ne'er-do-wells. Exactly. I, I like the idea, Simon, that, you, you know, they were as common, Betty Shops were as common on the high streets, banks, supermarkets, pubs. And yet they, as you say, the general wider public had a quite stigmatised um, attitude towards Betty Shops and the people who frequented them. And that stuck with me uh, till it was one of the reasons I wanted to write perhaps a book about about it later, which occurred to me later. And what, what attracted you to the industry in the first place? Well, it's purely by chance, in fact. It's quite funny. Uh, I came back from uh, six, seven months abroad in Israel and Egypt. I was 24 at the time. And obviously I needed a job uh, as soon as I got back. So... I was walking around suburban North Harrow, which is where I grew up. And um, I saw a job going in Safeways, the supermarket, maybe you know, working the fruit and veg or something like that. 
and then one in the front of the William Hill shop. So I applied for both, but fortunately it was Hills who got back to me first. I had an interview with them. Otherwise things could have worked out a lot differently. <laughs> I might have been stuck at Safeways for the rest of my life. Luckily I got the job at Hills and I loved it from day one. I really did. And we said it was uh, the, the golden age of betting shops. I mean, remember the it's, programme Big Deal? I, I, I do you know what? I, do you know, I didn't see that, Simon. My excuse is, I believe I looked it up because I, I mentioned that to my wife. I thought, bloody hell, I don't remember that at all. It was before I started at Hills, so I never got to see it. But right. it was it was the golden day, was it was, I imagine, with uh, the William Hill was a little bit more salubrious. I, very... I used to like lose my wages in William Hill every Friday. Uh, but big, big deal. <laughs> you had all the characters in there, which was, yeah, I think, right. was very similar to every betting shop. Um, there, yes. A lot of yeah. And it, was, and it was, yeah, sorry. And it was, it was also Simon. And, and this is when my book, I write about that world. It was pre-web. So it's pre-World Wide Web. And it was pre-mobile phones. The, 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 the betting shops that I write about. So they were packed. And it was that time in Britain, as you know yourself, unless you could get to the races, you know, you wanted to bet on the horses or the dogs, then it was a betting shop would have to do. So you're right, they were, they were vibrant, they were busy, they were noisy, and they're very excited to work here. Now, the managers back in those days, at least the one in the William Hill I used to go, he was always very friendly, even before the days of... Uh, cups of coffee and stuff like that he would sort of make you one if you got in there early and you felt a bit special before you lost your wages to him but I mean back in those days in hindsight the betting tax was 10% you knew that's right that nobody that came in there really had a snowball in hell's chance of winning so was some of the camaraderie between the manager and the punter a bit of a strategy to keep them it might have been in those days I wasn't actually managing I was like maybe just doing the payout and the uh, the till, looking after the payout, and that suited me because I wanted to be able to keep an eye on the racing. I was I was keen on the racing by then. Um, I'm not sure how conscious a thing that was or not, Simon. Well, I do know that lots of people who bet simply wouldn't pay the tax, you know. So they put a tenner on and a, you know two to one shot one, they they'd get the returns with the tax off. So I know a lot of people did, resented the idea of paying that, and. Um, but many of my co-workers were also punters themselves. So I think the resentment was was all around. Yeah. But the fact that um, you could pay on, told you, didn't it, really? If you could pay on, you yeah. could pay your tax on. Then they, they knew that nobody was winning. Um, no. Yeah, sure. Yes, I, I take your point. Yeah. But um, mm, I true. mean, there were, there were a lot of characters in the betting shop. Yeah. Some of like me, absolute mugs, just used to look at man on the spot two minutes before the off and write the betting yeah. But there were also Sounds a lot familiar. of very clever people in there. There were. There was one shop, I remember, particularly in Wembley. It was full of a lot of guys um, working the building trade, uh, skilled factory workers, cab drivers. But it's like they knew the form book inside out. And always had a big, I don't know, it, just, it always impressed me. <laughs> they were certainly more knowledgeable than I was. And um, yeah, it always impressed me somehow. You know, these guys really knew what they were. A lot of them knew what they were. So they're probably the fellows who've gone off to Betfair since. Yeah. No, there were. Um, um, I've said that, that nobody could win, but were there any people that, um, you know, any regulars that did used to take your pants down a bit? Um, no, only that um, story we may come to later about a fellow in my book. Uh, 
there were some guys who had their moments, but um, and there was one fella. Now you mentioned it, Simon. He yes, we did. We tracked his bets. He was connected to uh, the Martin Pipe Yard. Yeah, and yeah, that's right. It wasn't a shop I worked in, but it was on our district. And eventually, yeah, he was told to take his business elsewhere. Yeah, that would do it if you're so, in, if and, you're inside there. <laughs> yeah, as as you know yourself, you know those managers would have to track. If maybe someone like that came in, even though two hundred pound bets or three hundred pound bets, you know, for three four bets, if if they were up, then the idea, well, you had to you had to log them, log those guys, and if after six months or so, you know, you'd have reviews with the um, people above you, uh, they you know talked about what was going on in the shop, and then this person would come up, they were told to go elsewhere, and no mistake. You weren't tempted to keep them on board and follow them in then. Sometimes I used to, well, sometimes we used to get these messages come up. I remember one in particular, and it was a permission to lay bet. Any of these were three horses running in um, the colours of, um, oh, it's one of those high clear, I think it was. Do not take bets of more than such and such and such on these horse, three horses. And Pat Edry wrote two of them, and then um, I can't recall the jockey in the third. That was at an evening meeting in Windsor. Of course, they all won. And I got down to Labrooks uh, at lunchtime and I backed them just instinctively because you, you could get information that way. But you've got also a lot of stuff that didn't come to anything. You got any other, any, yeah. any sort of, any stories, any, any sort of funny anecdotes from those uh, betting shops? Yeah, one, one stands out. Uh, there's a fellow called Dennis who's a manager in our district. And the year that um, Minnie Homer won the Grand National, he had... I think quite a lot of money on Garrison Savannah, who had done so well three years earlier, second to Seagram. So this guy, Dennis, I wasn't working with him that day, but uh, I think he'd had more money on than, than he let people know. Now, of course, on Grand National Day, the shops, you've got all the regulars in, then you've got all your once a year or twice a year punters, packed, packed shop. There's Dennis managing, he has a second settler, Next to him as well, two big stacks of bets. The national gets underway. Uh, Garrison Savannah refuses at the 16th. <laughs> and then Dennis faints. <laughs> so he's like, boom, you know. And uh, <laughs> that was that, really. I mean, they, they called the ambulance from Northwick Park Hospital. Uh, he was taken away. This poor assistant was left with all the bets. So there was a lot of complaining about us there. Not getting their um, Freddie Star money in time because of his uh, escapades, but Dennis survived, so uh, he was back at work on Monday. I think he liked to drink as well, but uh, that, that that story stands out. You know, that was a good one. Now, there's uh, we're going to talk about the book in the next part, but finally, there's an yeah. interesting character in the book called Mister Manila. Uh, mm. Without giving too much away, was he based on real events? He was. He walked into a shop um, one. Uh, just before closing, and in a, in a wax jacket, and uh, an Asian gentleman walked up to the counter, and um, no one else in the shop, and I thought he was going to put on a, a football lacquer or something. So he says, um, oh, you know, have you got odds for a, a horse called Phone Chatter? And uh, there was some Breeders' Cup, I think it's a Breeders' Cup race, and I got the odds up for him. It said, yep, she's a five to two favourite. He said five to two. Yes, then I'll have four grand to win. 
So, um, which I know you, you, you'll have seen a lot bigger bets, Simon, on the race courses and so on. But for us at that time, I think this was early 90s, that was quite a big bet. So uh, we went through the whole rigmarole of getting permission to lay, so on. This horse won easily. So um, later that week, uh, what was that, 14 grand? He made four grand at five to two, that's right. So what I don't go on to say in the book, he, he actually came back six months later and hadn't seen him since. So I always had a huge kind of respect for him. I thought, God, he's a good professional. You know, he, this guy knows what he's doing. Not many of them around in that day or at our shop. Came back six months later and it was a little race, six runner race at Warwick uh, in the mud. And he'd come in to back a Gosden horse and there was two in the field. And this thing was six to four on. So we had six grand to 10 grand, you know. And, um, and the second string one at 15 to two. And then he walked off. I had never seen him since. I never saw him since. But he was still up over those two bets. But um, yeah, they, they, occasionally you had people like that in. Not, not quite the shrewder you thought he was. No. So I kind of left that out of the book, actually. <laughs> Though for different reasons, it, it doesn't fit into the stories, you know, yourself. Yeah. So we'll, um, we'll, we'll, um, yeah. we'll talk about the book in a minute. Next, uh, yeah, in, sure. uh, next, and uh, we'll talk about the book in part two. Yeah. Um, we talked in the first part about your uh, past betting shops and your experiences with various characters there. So they've written this book, Shouting the Odds, which we, uh, which we mentioned in part one and the reason we're talking to you here today. So what made you decide to write it firstly? Well, when I was at uh, uni, I studied photography and I distinctly remember on the second year, we were doing a lot of work to do with storytelling, but through images. So we were thinking a lot in, in storytelling and all this arty-farty stuff we were doing on the course. But um, I saw a, a, um, a lecture being advertised by Shane Meadows, a film who's gone on to much you know, bigger, greater things. At the time, he was just setting out and he was making films in Snenton, strangely enough, and around Nottingham. I think he just finished Small Time, one of his first films. So. I went to a talk actually about script writing rather than novel writing, but it was really inspirational. He was he had a very punk kind of DIY attitude towards the whole thing. So this was in 96. So that evening in a pub in Nottingham, I thought, bloody hell, that's it. This is what I want to do. I want to write a book uh, set in, in a betting shop somewhere. Um, you know, and I, that, that's when the, the idea first came to me. So you did you write it? You, you moved to Sweden. So have you written it in Sweden? Yeah, I and mean, this is the old thing. Yeah, I mean it, it got shoved at the back of my mind. My photography took off once I uh, took off. I by by the time when I moved to Sweden, two thousand, I was doing photographic work for Goodwood, and then that led to. So I, I went through a period from about two thousand. Uh, only ended a few years ago. 2018, working for a lot of race courses. Um, the idea for the book came back to me when I was convalescing uh, from a, from a, I had an operation on my leg. And my wife said, why don't you, you know, so I was off for six weeks, couldn't do much. To look out those notes, you know, you've always said you wanted to write this book, get going on it. Uh, so I started in 2000, 
14 in earnest. Um, I joined a writer's club, sorry, online uh, that was in the UK. And, um, and, you know, and I wrote this first draft. Of course, I thought it was brilliant. Um, <laughs> then I had a critique on it. And it had been written in the, um, in the third, third person narrator, you know, like Andy went to the shop, you know, Ron said this, Rita, and, and it wasn't good. So through various critiques and various drafts, I started writing in the first person. And I know you made some comments about that, Simon, you read it. You know, writing the first person is superb because it takes away that wall between the, the story and the, and the reader. And then writing as this book is in, in with three people um, telling the story makes it more uh, makes it even more um, interesting because the reader becomes privy to information the other characters don't. So I think that helps with the pace and so on and so forth. So it took six seven years to get to the the draft of the book that I was happy with. Yeah, Sorry, that was rather. It's quite unusual. I mean, I'm not a, I, most of the books I read are sort of autobiographies and that sort of thing, but to go, yeah, I found it quite unusual to go from one person to the other person. You almost felt a little bit like a body snatcher when you, uh, you had to, exactly, you had to keep aware of the name at the top of the um, chapter. But it didn't happen that often, did it? Which is probably just as confusing, fact, Simon, isn't it? Because most of it is told through Andy's voice. There's only two chapters from his dad's in his dad's voice, but then there's the girl. Yeah, I don't want to say too much. Actually. Yeah, yeah, no, don't uh, spoil it. So, <laughs> how much of Andy is you? Oh, uh, yeah, um, certainly the Andy that um, turns up in the betting shop in the book and um, puts some money on, just picks a name out of the sky, you know, like that. Certainly the early Andy, definitely. I did live in Nottingham for years, I lived in Snenton. It was a great place. It was, uh, it was a lot of Irish, a lot of English, obviously, but a lot of Irish, Pakistanis, students, um, and they all seemed to like betting. <laughs> um, I lived in Stenton. I liked it a lot. I, I used to go and see Notts County play. I couldn't go and see Forest because uh, that would have been too obvious. I liked an underdog. So Sam Allardyce was the, the, the trainer at County, actually, at the time. So I was like Andy in that way. Uh, Glenn, the manager... He's like a lot of the old school managers I worked with down the years, I think. And several of the punters um, probably know who they are. <laughs> okay. Now, you've written it. You've written it when you're in Sweden. So, and it's quite far removed from the back streets of Nottingham. So how did you yeah. get in the zone, so to speak? Did you need to get in the zone? Is that a thing or is that the something? You're right. Yeah, it's a good question. That. Um, once, I'd got, once I'd set the scene... Once I knew, once I had written some stuff that was describing the betting shop, like the faulty air conditioner that used to be whirring away, um, that, that's absolutely out of real life, a shop in Wembley I used to work in. And, and getting into the smells, you know, the kind of stale smell of um, uh, energy drinks and, and, and uh, Golden Virginia tobacco. Once I got that, and my imagination is quite strong, I was back in the zone. Okay, so how, without giving us, without giving too much away, people probably seen uh, the foot mentioned on various places now, it's, you've been sticking it out there. Uh, without giving too much away, can you give us a synopsis of what to expect? It, what, first you know, of all, yeah, first of all, so I was going to read the back 
but that's too long. That's the blurb. So bear with me. I, I, I'll, I'll explain a little without um, what it is. Um, so there's a family in Nottingham. Book starts at Christmas. Happy family. Mum and dad and the son, Andy. He's the protagonist of the book. Three months later, the, the father and the son have gone to see Notts County play at Wembley, uh, which happened in real life, this Anglo-Italian obscure cup final. They come back to Nottingham and his mum has died suddenly. It's Ron's wife and his mum. It changes the, the nature of their relationship completely. The next day, the, the, the dad kind of disowns Andy. He prefers to blame his son for persuading him to go down to the game, uh, which wasn't really the case. Um, becomes a drunkard recluse, disowns his son a few months later, and he finds himself yeah, wandering home from work, uh, wanders into a betting shop, puts some money on, because it's the best thing that ever happened, uh, that has happened since his mum died. He wins some money. And um, yeah, he starts going to the bookies. Um, he's left all his Notts County friends, everything behind him. You know, he's disowned the club. His, his family, you know, his mum's dead, his dad's disowned him. Um, very briefly, the final thing is he sees his dad on the first anniversary of his mum's death. Uh, they run into each other at the cemetery, shouting the odds at each other. They have a major fallout, and Andy thinks, that's it, I, I'm, out of, I'm out of this. I've given myself a year to bet enough, try to win enough money, to get out Snenton for good, you know that's it. I decided, you know, sold him, sold everything about this place, um, and that's where the story starts. Okay, so it's, sorry, things don't go as planned. I should say that's when the, <laughs> no, the and truth. It's, and it, and it is a, <laughs> you could it's, say <laughs> it's, a, it's a good story. Andy drinks a lot, doesn't he? He does. I did think, bloody Andy, you're knocking those drinks back a bit, mate. A few people have said that. Yeah, maybe in the um, yeah, yeah, maybe they do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um it's not it wasn't deliberate it wasn't conscious there was a lot of drinking in the betting shops uh shouldn't have been but i mean people did get in with the with, with the drink um yeah perhaps do you think there's too much of that well you know i did worry a bit about his health but anyway you, you yeah. mentioned that some yeah. of the characters will recognize themselves so what i'm both yes. characters are based on real people but they obviously you've already said that they are um, have you had any comments from yeah. those people? No, I say, I say, I wouldn't, I wouldn't admit to any of it. I mean, uh, no, I did want to originally in the um, in the copyright blurb. You know, I did want to say, um, you know, where you're asked to write um, any references to historical events, real people, or real places are intentional. <laughs> oh, yeah. sorry, names, characters. You know who you are, you bastards. You know. <laughs> but I thought no, I shouldn't do that. <laughs> so, so no, they're not recognisable, um, Simon. A lot of them are various people moulded into, you know, the, the different types. Yeah, well, it's purely coincidental. Oh, so yeah, you're in Sweden. Yeah, are you? Do you still follow racing? Are you a hunter? Oh, I do. I do. Yes, yes. I had last bet I had was on the um, on the uh, Irish Champions Meeting at the weekend. Um, yes, I am. I mean, I was only ever really a recreational gambler, I guess. Um, I've had a few good moments, you know, when um, Odds and Evens won the Stewart's Cup. Uh, I won, you know, I mean, it's about one half grand or something. Um, I, I used to love doing play spots, big play spot perps. 
that, that was my thing. I used to love doing them. I won six, seven hundred, eight hundred quid several times, you know, from leaving out the favourite, you know, in small fields. And um, I, I used to really like those, doing them. So I used to win a lot on those. And um, I had a couple of years where, like Andy, I used to keep a log of my bets. That's definitely me from the past. Um, I just wanted to say, with that thing, with the, the whole idea of the book, very briefly, before I forget, I was trying to write a book that um, that celebrated betting and racing as a pastime without glorifying it. I think that, that was important to me, and it's not an easy um, tightrope to walk. But I think, I think I've done that because of the way the book pans out at the end. But I, again, I don't want to go into that too much. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the betting, yeah, yeah. I, I was always a very cautious person by nature, Simon, and sometimes that counted against me with bets I put on. But um, but I still bet today, yeah. Good stuff. So finally, how far have you got on the sequel? Uh, now that's it, you see. Um, I, I Each time I think about a sequel, uh, I just think I'll never, I'll, I, uh, without overrating what I've done, I don't be big-headed, I, I wonder, I, I, I'm tempted just to leave Champignons as it is, but that might, that might change. I did think about writing a follow-up of the hymn now in now time, you know, like in the present day. I thought that could be interesting. Um, the original idea I had for a sequel was going to be like two or three years on. But I have some other ideas for books uh, coming up. Maybe some short stories sticking with uh, the betting betting shops and one or two perhaps uh, racing ones actually with my racing photography and so on okay so john thank you very much for uh, taking your time to speak to us um anyone that's not my pleasure book, it's available on amazon anywhere else um no just amazon uh, exclusively with amazon okay so uh, easy to grab search uh, shout the odds on amazon and uh, You'll enjoy the read, I'm pretty certain. So uh, anyway, thanks very much for talking to us. Keep us informed if you do. Uh, My sure pleasure. If you get the other one out, next one out. And um, yeah, thanks very much for your time. Thanks a lot, Simon. Cheers, all the best. New Betting People interviews are published every week at Star Sports. Exclusive interviews with the key people from the world of sports betting. Check out our full library of interviews at starsportsbet.co.uk. BeGambleAware.org. Over 18 only.